Three weeks ago, we looked at the song from Isaiah, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We looked at that song. Last Sunday, we looked at uh, the song of the angels to the shepherds. Uh, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth uh, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And this week, we're going to look at this song, uh, the song of Simeon. And um, I guess if you're from a certain background, you'll be familiar with this song. From an Anglican background, I think in Latin it's called the Nunc Dimittis, which means now dismiss me, which is the words of, uh, of Simeon here. And often in Anglican services, and I think Catholic services too, that song is sung at the end of the day, the end of the service in the evening. It's a final kind of parting song that is sung. And uh, what struck me was that Simeon and Anna, who comes after this, uh, fly in the face of what people usually say about Christmas. They usually say, well, it's really all for the kids, isn't it? It's really all for the kids, Christmas. It's all about the kids. Well, it's great, isn't it? To have kids around at Christmas time, the excitement of opening presents and, and the build-up counting the sleeps and everything. But Anna and Simeon are the other end of the scale, aren't they? And yet they are filled with joy and hope at Christmas time. It's not just for the kids. It's for everyone. That's what this passage is saying. But if you'd gone to Jerusalem at that time, in the days of Simeon, and you were there, and you saw Mary and Joseph, and they were making their way through the crowds, you wouldn't have noticed anything special about them, would you? They were just ordinary people, an ordinary couple wanting to consecrate their baby Jesus according to the law of the Lord. They offered a pair, a sacrifice, a pair of doves or young pigeons. That was the offering of the poor, reminding us of how poor a family Jesus was born into. And they don't have halos or anything. The baby Jesus isn't glowing. It's just ordinary. And yet, Simeon sees a difference. Simeon, we are told, is is being spoken to by God's Spirit. And he's been told somehow that he's not going to die before he sees the Lord's Christ, the King, God's chosen. And we're told he's moved by God's Spirit to go into the temple at that particular time. How? I don't know. God's Spirit is working in him. And he sees Mary and Joseph, and he takes Jesus, the baby, in his arms, maybe about a month old by now, And he praises God for God's salvation. That's the theme of the song, isn't it? There in verses 29 to 32, the theme of the song is salvation. Salvation. Salvation is a person, Simeon tells us. It's for a people. It brings great peace. And it comes at a price. That's where we're going this morning. Salvation, firstly, is a person. Salvation is a person. Simeon, we're told, has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's another phrase, really, for the hope of a Messiah. 
hope of the king and he's waiting for it children find it difficult to wait a week for christmas don't they uh jews have been waiting for centuries faithful jews have been waiting for centuries for the coming of the king the messiah and yet when simeon picks up this baby in his arms he says my eyes have seen your salvation salvation is in a person it's in this baby this particular being this particular person so in the bible salvation is not a position many people think of salvation as a position if i could get to that job that career that house that would be my salvation but it's not it's not a philosophy either it's not a political theory communism socialism capitalism liberalism it's not a it's not a political theory if we had this in our country it would save us many people think and it's certainly not a religion following a list of laws and rules salvation is a person isaiah says surely god is my salvation i will trust and not be afraid and in this baby simeon recognizes your salvation my eyes have seen your salvation he says to god it's as if god has wrapped up salvation in the person of this baby this jesus and he's offering him to the world and people will say well there's nothing necessarily new in that even today people look to other people for salvation don't they all the time people are looking to other people to save them gabriel aplin in a song last year sang a song called salvation the picture of it i think or the lp coming up these are the words on the of the of the of the song you are the avalanche one world away my make believing while i'm wide awake i never meant to fall for you but i was buried underneath and all that i could see was white and the chorus is repeated my salvation my salvation singing about a person or if you prefer a, a little bit older queen there was a program about queen on the other day wasn't there save me freddie mercury sings i hang my head and i advertise a soul for sale or rent i have no heart I'm cold inside. I have no real intent. And in the chorus, save me. Save me. I can't face this life alone. Save me. Save me. I'm naked and I'm far from home. What are they doing? They're singing about a person. A person's got to come and save me. You are the sunshine of my life, Stevie Wonder. That's why I'll always be around. You're the sunshine. You're my salvation. If you go away, I'll find myself drowning in my own tears, he sings. Now, for many people, salvation is a person. But you know, they say it doesn't have to be Jesus. It can be anybody. It can be anybody. It's okay for Simeon. He's found salvation there. Wonderful. That's great for him. But don't insist that he's got to be for me too. 
I'll find my salvation elsewhere. Well, let's read on. Salvation is in a person, according to Simeon. But salvation is for people. That's what he says next. Salvation is for people. Simeon has more to say when he praises God, doesn't he? My eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. Simeon isn't merely saying here, Jesus is my salvation, and that's all that matters. He's my private, personal savior. He's not just saying that, is he? He is saying Jesus is God's salvation prepared for all people. For Gentiles and for Jews. That's everybody. Look what he says. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What does that mean? Well, he... Jesus is going to show the reality, the light of God, the reality of God, the reality of God's grace, the reality of God's mercy, the reality of who he is, and a light of glory to Israel. Now, in Israel's history, they knew a lot about glory in their history. They, they'd read about the glory of God coming down on Mount Sinai. And the people couldn't get near it because, because they would perish. Moses, Moses couldn't see God and live. There's plenty of evidence in the history of Israel. For the glory of God, and it was a frightening thing. It was an unapproachable thing. But Simeon says here, he's a, he's a light for glory to your people Israel. This is God coming near now. God becoming approachable. God coming to them. Now, where does he get that from? Where does Simeon get that from? Well, he's singing like a cover version, really, of uh, those words on the screen. They're from Isaiah. Isaiah 49, verse 6, where God is speaking through the prophet to his servant, who we see, understand, to be, to be Jesus, 700 years later. And those are the words he says. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. That's too small a thing. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That's, that's nearly all of us, I guess. Most of us, if not all of us. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's reached to Cheshire. Isn't that good? Isn't, isn't that good? It is good, you know. It's reached to Cheshire. I don't know if you're the kind of people who uh, are very, very organized and you buy your presents in January in the sales <coughs> ready for next Christmas. You might be very, very organized at least months before Christmas Day. Simeon is saying that God's gift of salvation has been prepared well in advance in 700 years in advance you have prepared for people and God's salvation right from the beginning here is in Jesus Christ this person 
It's for all people, for Jews and Gentiles. It's for all people. It's not public. It's not private. It's public. He's for everybody. He's a gift of the world. God's gift of the world. How do people respond to that? I was thinking of somebody else who made a gift. Came across this chap called uh, Sir William Burrell. You can see his picture, I think. There he is, Sir William Burrell. He uh, was born into a, a Scottish uh, shipping merchant family. And um, he was the third of a family of nine children. And he joined the business. The business was very successful. He joined it in 1875 at the age of 14 and he took over the company when his father died and because the uh, the company was doing very well shipping sending ships all over the world trading <coughs> merchants shipping and things like that he had time to devote to one of his precious hobbies which was collecting antiques and he would buy up all kinds of antiques and it became known as the Burrell collection the Burrell collection is not just ordinary antiques. It's a load of things. Medieval art, stained glass and tapestries, oak furniture, medieval weapons and armor, Islamic art, artifacts from ancient Egypt and China, impressionist paintings, a host of other things. 8,000 pieces in this collection. And in 1944, he decided he would devote it to the city of Glasgow. There were certain conditions. It could only be housed in a smokeless zone, which was difficult to find in 1944. But eventually, along with his gift of £250,000 to house it, a place was found in Pollock Park. And a building was built, and you can go and visit. It was a gift to the city so that other people could come and enjoy what he had collected, what he had prepared. Well, God's salvation, God's salvation is a gift being prepared from eternity. And it's a gift to the world. It's to all people in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. And Jesus is relevant to all people. He is good news to all people. That's the message, isn't it, of the Christmas narratives. To shepherds and to kings, to Jews and to Gentiles, to young and to old, to people of China and people of Cheshire. He is relevant to everybody. And if you're a Christian this morning, Jesus is not just good news for me. He's not just good news for me. He is good news for the world for your neighbors, for your family, for your colleagues. But is that how people see it? I can imagine people in Glasgow, having met some people in Glasgow, I can imagine people thinking negatively about the Burrell collection. Can you? What do we want with a medieval oak ceiling? They'd be saying. How does that help us? What good to me is a Chinese vase? I'd appreciate some cash for the rent or some affordable housing. And, you know, they might have a point. And in the same way, people can respond negatively 
to this, this, this message about God's gift. What about this talk of salvation? Why do I need that? I'm not religious. It's not a word I use. What is the relevance for me? Salvation is a load of nonsense. I save myself, people might say. So what do we say to that? Well, that leads us on to the next thing that Simeon says. Salvation brings peace. <coughs> Salvation brings peace. Notice how Simeon begins his song of praise. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. In peace. What's he saying? Well, I think he's saying, now I've seen your salvation. Now I've seen that promise fulfilled. I'm ready to go, Lord. I'm ready to go. I'm not afraid of dying. I know I'm safe. Simeon's ready to die. He's, he's ready to face death without fear and in peace. Why is Jesus relevant to all people? Well, because all of us are mortal. We all have to go the same way as Simeon, don't we? How can we face death with peace? Because all over the world, the, re the response to death is the same. We are afraid. There's a fear of death. And all over the world, the effects of death are the same on us, aren't they? They rob us of peace. They destroy our peace. It's part of being human. I remember <clears throat> years ago when they, they were interviewing, it must have been the time of the uh, snooker championship at Sheffield. And... Um, <clears throat> They're firing questions at some of the main players. John Higgins is answering questions. I think he was world champion at the time. And they fire questions at him. Favorite this. What do you like this? And one question was, what's your greatest fear? And he said, death. Or Jonah Lomu. People have been uh, concentrating on him recently. Remember in the 90s, Jonah Lomu, this great rugby player, representing New Zealand, this man who seems so invincible, running through the English defenders and scoring tries for fun. This man who was the first global rugby superstar recently died at the age of 40. It's a, it's a, a kind of reminder to the macho rugby world of players and fans that death is no respecter of persons. It's not peaceful. Oh, when Bobby Robson <coughs> died in 2009, the charity shield that year was marked with the minutes applause rather than traditional silence. And there was a writer in The Guardian who acknowledged <coughs> that uh, the minutes applause is a way of avoiding an uncomfortable silence but thought it was a shame that we have come to this. He wrote, A minute's silence inside a packed and excitable stadium is still an unbearably potent 
memento mori. I had to look that phrase up. Memento mori. Some of you will know. It means a reminder that you must die. In a packed stadium, <clears throat> where everybody's there for the game, and suddenly you've got to be quiet for a minute and think about death. That's not peaceful, is it? That's uncomfortable. So it's easier to applaud than to think. <clears throat> but some people say, well, why should we be afraid of death? Why should we be afraid? When you're dead, you're done for. What's this, what's this fear? Uh, Albert Einstein said, the fear of death is the most unjustified of all fears. Uh, for there's no risk of accident for someone who's dead. <coughs> Thank you, Albert Einstein. So, you know, you don't need to be afraid of death because the only thing you, the thing you really want to fear about is... Uh, is, is having an accident. And when you're dead, well, there's been no accidents. It's just similar to what people say, isn't it? When you're dead, that's it. That's it. There's no afterlife. There's nothing. It's a very convenient conviction for many people. And yet that fear persists, doesn't it? When you have a health scare, and you find a lump, when you have a near escape in the car. Why? I think Shakespeare put it well centuries ago when he wrote the words for Hamlet in that to be or not to be speech where Hamlet is weighing up, you know, the benefits of living or dying, to be or not to be. And he's weighing it up. Why not be? That's the question. And he puts these words in the mouth of Hamlet. But that dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. The dread of something after death. The sudden and stubborn realization that death is not the end. That the, actually the Bible is true. That we will one day meet this sovereign Lord that Simeon is singing about and singing to. And we'll have to give an account to him. And that since all have sinned and fall short of his glory, we're in trouble. But Simeon, He's seen God's salvation. And he says, Lord, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And he's at peace. The dread is taken away. Because if Jesus is our salvation, then you have no need to fear God's judgment. That's what it means, isn't it? Salvation. But it means in part this. This idea of being saved from, from judgment. That's part of it, isn't it? But there's another side to salvation too, isn't there? It's being saved to something. I watched uh, something on the news uh, on the internet recently. It happened in India. It was going uh, all, all around the news. And there was 
CCTV camera picked up a man on a bridge uh, in India. And this man uh, strode to the edge of the bridge. He took his coat off and he just jumped. There was water below, about 30 feet below. And he was, uh, I guess, trying to end his life. And a young policeman looked over. A crowd began to gather. A young policeman looked over. And uh, he jumped down, risking his life to save this man. The crowd was gathering. And this, the policeman brought this man to, to the side and saved him. Saved him from death. But the thought occurred to me, but what has he saved him to? The conditions that man faced beforehand are still there, aren't they? Whether he's lost his family, that he didn't have a job, I don't know. But something drove him to that act. He's been saved from something, from drowning, but what he's been saved to? But salvation, the salvation that Jesus has brought us, is not only salvation from, from condemnation. It's saving us to something. It's saving us to uh, a relationship with God. It's saving us to life. It's saving us to know this, the love of God. To know what it is to have God as our Father. It's saving us to a new family of believers. It's saving us to a hope. It's saving us to, to joy and peace with God. So this salvation is not nonsense. It's not irrelevant. It's got everything to do with you. Someone wrote, Christmas is about peace with our Creator so that we can enjoy life to the full. A relationship with Him and a peace that leaves us ready to go home whenever God should call. And it's this peace, this peace with God that true Christians experience. And they've experienced throughout the centuries. The writer goes on, For the past 2,000 years, people have discovered that once they catch a glimpse of Jesus, God's salvation, death is not the great enemy anymore. The world has been overrun by an army of simians. Having seen Jesus, they are ready to die, ready to be martyred, ready to step into eternity. Salvation means peace. And the last thing today to say is that salvation comes at a price. It's a great price. Simeon concludes the song, doesn't he, in verse 32. And it's, it's as though he then he talks with, uh, with uh, Mary and Joseph. And he speaks to Mary. And look what he says. Verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, that's not on the cards, is it? You don't get that on the Christmas cards. What's he saying? Well, Jesus' life is going to be filled with controversy. See that? The, the falling and rising of many in Israel. He's going to cause controversy. 
the religious people are going to be brought down. The irreligious people, the people who, who the world has discarded, in that world will be, will be brought up. Controversy. You'll turn things upside down. Conflict, a sign that will be spoken against. Not everybody is going to welcome this Jesus with open arms, are they? There's going to be conflict, a sign that will be spoken against. We will not have this man to rule over us. And then there's going to be great cost, personal cost to Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Allusions to the crucifixion, I'm sure. Where Mary is still around. Joseph has probably died by that time. But Mary's there. Can you imagine it's going to, what it's going to cost her to see her son rejected, scoffed and scorned, and ultimately crucified? A sword will pierce your own soul too. And the cost to Jesus, think of what it cost him to become human, to suffer the shame and scorn of people, to suffer and die on the cross. The salvation that God is giving us, wrapped up in Jesus, comes at a great price, a huge cost to God and to his Son and to those close to him. Sacred infant, all divine, what a tender love was thine. Thus to come from highest bliss down to such a world as this. And why does he do it? Simeon, why spoil it? Simeon, why talk of Easter? This is Christmas. You've spoiled it, Simeon. Couldn't you have just left it there at verse 32? Well, you see, because Christmas is leading to Easter. Easter is, is why Christmas had to happen. Because Jesus came to lay down his life as a substitute. Taking the place of, of sinners at the cross so that we can enjoy peace with God. Did you see uh, the astronaut Tim Peake, British astronaut going up into space this last week and his final interview... <laughs> Did you see that in Kazakhstan where they appeared? He and a, uh, a Russian and an American astronaut, they appeared, their final interview with the world. But they were behind a glass screen, weren't they? For risk of infection. We were not going to take any risks. It would, it, what a cost it would be. Training for all these years. And then just before they go up, they get an infection. So they've got this glass screen. No contact between them over there and us here. Protection. But when Jesus, God's Son, comes into the world, there's no screen of protection. There's no glass protection at all. Jesus shares our humanity in the raw, in flesh and blood. He sheds tears. He is rejected. He knows sorrow, though he himself was without sin. And he experiences the cross. He goes to the cross, forsaken by his Father there. And what does it mean for us? Well, this is the price for our salvation. What does it mean? Well, three things to close. It means that we can be sure that God loves us. 
we can be sure of God's love. He didn't spare his only son, but gave him for us. How much more will he not graciously also give us all things? Be assured of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Paul could say, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can be sure of God's love. If you're going to measure uh, love to you this Christmas by the costly present that people give you, if you're going to, if you're going to be, compute things in that way, well, well, think about that. Think about the gift of God in His Son. We can be sure of God's love. Secondly, we will experience temporary pain. As Christians, if we follow Jesus, we will experience temporary pain. Like Mary, those who are close to Jesus will suffer. God doesn't put a glass screen there for us either, does he? Like Simeon, faith in Jesus didn't shelter him from death. I was reading something that John Piper wrote um, recently. Uh, he's reflecting on Christmas being a difficult time for him. His mother died in a traffic accident in Israel in December the 16th, 1974. She was only 56. He says, those events are incredibly real to me even today. If I allow myself, I can easily come to tears. Let it come, he says. Feel it. What is love for, if not to intensify our affections, both in life and death? But oh, do not be bitter. It is tragically self-destructive to be bitter. Now, following the Lord Jesus will involve temporary pain. But we will experience eternal joy and peace. Eternal joy and peace. Like Mary, the pain would give way to healing, wouldn't it? Mary would see the risen Son and rejoice in Him. A salvation that death cannot destroy. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal peace. Eternal joy in Jesus Christ. And so the song that we sang uh, just before this message is true, isn't it? Come Christians all rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Peace, peace. Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save.
Simeon's song, salvation. Let's rejoice in it. Amen.